0: know that so just sit with us and stay by mom and dad this morning great job appreciate those that filled in for those that were sick uh, today and uh, last minute thing and I know brother Cecil and had to make some changes and different stuff so so I'm very appreciative of those that are uh, willing and ready to go and uh, to serve the Lord in whatever way last minute so thank you Uh, to all of those i think for a while now uh, lauren and uh, maybe joanna have been cecil's standby on special music if people don't show up or not prepared or don't do what they're supposed to uh, they kind of always gets uh, said hey you got to do it and i informed tanner this morning i said tanner guess what you've been added to the list all right uh, to step up and so love to hear him sing and and, uh, appreciate that president bush uh, not W, but the other President Bush. When he was a vice president, he told an interesting story uh, that I had never heard of before. don't know if you've heard of it or not either. During the Spanish-American War, uh, apparently Congress, during the Spanish-American War, told the Navy, gave a director to the Navy, that every Spanish ship that was captured, uh, a warship that was captured, they were then going to use it for the American Navy, And when they captured those Spanish ships, they would need to rename the ships. And so uh, Congress made a a, a law, a rule that they passed to the Navy. And they said, every Spanish warship that you capture, uh, when we flip it to the American side, we want you to name it after a college. We want you to name it after a college. And uh, the Congress went ahead, and they actually, I believe, named the first couple And they named the first two ships, Harvard and Yale, that they got from the Spanish in that war, named it Harvard and Yale. Now, if you know much about politics, uh, a disproportionate number of our politicians over the years have gone to those two schools, Harvard and Yale. In fact, they say if you want to be president, uh, you better have attended one of those two institutions or you're probably not going to be president, and that has to do with old money in the United States and and all kinds of things like that. So you can imagine in Congress these graduates of Harvard and Yale thought this would be a great thing to do. We uh we're going to we're going to make the navy name their warships after colleges. Well, most people that serve in the military don't go to Harvard or Yale. Some of them do and back then more more used to back in those days, but uh the Admiral of the Navy, Admiral Dewey, he did not like that. And he thought, that is not the way you name Navy ships. You do not. This is the, in fact, he thought this is one of the dumbest things that the government has ever done. And so Admiral Dewey, he had to obey the Congress because in our setup, the military has to answer to the, to the secular government. And so he, uh, he knew they had to do this. They had to do what they said, but he didn't want to really do it. And so he had to figure out, how can I be obedient and disobedient at the same time. Now, if you have a child or have observed children and have noticed how sometimes they can be obedient, do what you said, and yet do it with a disobedient attitude, say amen. Admiral Dewey thought, I've got to do this, but I don't want to do this. And so uh, he came up with a little idea. He decided, okay, if they're going to make me do this, I'm going to name the next couple of ships that we capture some of the most ridiculous names that could possibly happen. And so he captured the next couple of ships, and he named one of them, he named one of them the Vermont Normal College for Women. The Vermont Normal College for Women. He named the next ship he captured the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Do you know what Congress did after he named those two ships? They decided, we're not going to do that anymore. You don't have to name them after colleges. Now, two things surfaced in Dewey's response. The first shows his clever courage in defying Congress while achieving an end that he thought was good for the Navy. He uh, was obedient, but his attitude showed that he didn't really have any interest in being obedient. He was obedient to the letter of the law that the congress passed but his attitude shows he had no his heart was not in it in this morning's text we're going to see that in the early church it was the exact opposite Uh, as a whole in the early church they were not only obedient to what god's word said but they did it with the right attitude now not everybody and we're going to see that very shortly Some folks who didn't fit that pattern, but for the most part, and definitely among the disciples and the apostles, they are both obedient and their attitude reflects a willingness to be obedient to what God has said. God help us in our spiritual growth to not only be obedient to the Word of God, but to be obedient in a way that shows that our attitude desires to do what God has said. Sometimes we need an attitude check. We need an attitude check. Now this morning I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And let's start in verse 1. And we're going to continue with this uh, look at what God is doing in the early church. And we're going to see this morning that although there are many things we might not know, there are some things we do know. And based on those things that we do know, there is an obedience and an attitude that we should manifest. So Acts chapter 4 starting in verse 1. Let's read together. All right, now remember, uh, Peter and John, last week we saw Peter and John healed a lame man. They healed a man that could not walk outside of the temple. And uh, this has got everybody excited. Wow, this guy that was outside the temple got healed, and they were able, he was able to walk into the temple, and everybody has seen this, right? So there's a lot of excitement. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. They've just done this act. As they spoke unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Why? Being grieved that they taught the people and that they preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. If you are glad that Jesus has risen and is at the right hand of the Father, say Amen. Not everybody's happy about this. Not everybody is happy in our day, and certainly in that day, not everyone was happy about this. Verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in a hold. They, they, they locked them away in a, in a, in a prison-type atmosphere until the next day, for it was now evening tide. Howbeit many of them, many of that crowd that had heard the preaching, And had seen the miracle, howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass, by the way, if you'd love to see five hundred get saved in one day, say amen. Five thousand. I say that, if you'd like to see that, who are you preaching to in your life? Who are you witnessing to? Who are you talking to? That hasn't changed. see those salvations unless the people in the pew go out and go to where the people are and tell them who Jesus is. 5,000 got saved. It came to pass the next day on the morrow that the rulers, the elders, and the scribes, they all get together. The the Sanhedrin, kind of like their religious congress. The Sanhedrin gets together. And Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, we've seen him before in Jesus' story, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred, of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Kafi, uh, uh, well, I can't even pronounce his name now, I've gone blank. The guy with the sea, he has a lot of influence. And these are some of his uh, relatives that they're talking about here. So we see that the priesthood has become dominated by this one very prominent family. So they all gather together. And when they had set them in the midst, so imagine you're surrounded by this group of men, when they sat them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? How have you done what you've done? How was this lame man healed? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this Uh, impotent man, by what means is he made whole? If that's what you want to know, then be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This, referring to Jesus, this is the stone which was set at not. This is the stone that was pushed aside by you builders. But what's it become? It has become the head of the corner. You push Jesus aside, but he is the one that heals, and he is the one that redeems, and he is the chief cornerstone. Verse 12: neither is there salvation in any other. Now like this. They just asked him, they just asked him a simple question. They just said, just tell us, tell us. By whose name you've done this? Whose authority? And they could have just said Jesus, but I like this. These guys are preachers, and they're not going to miss the opportunity to do some preaching. So they keep going. They said, listen. They said, listen, listen. Now, neither is there salvation in any other name. Who do we do this by? Through Jesus. And there is salvation in no other name. There's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness... Of Peter and John and they perceived or they knew they knew about them and they knew that they were unlearned and ignorant men what the Sanhedrin do they marveled Uh, this would as if this would be as if the Harvard and Yale folks were all together doing what they do and getting together and making decisions and somebody with no college degree no bachelor's degree no master's degree uh, no PhD just burst into their party and started letting them know with authority this is the way it is. Verse 13, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived or they knew that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them. What did they marvel at? What did they take knowledge of? What did they most notice about them? That they had been with Jesus beholding the man the man that had been healed which was healed standing with them they could say nothing against it they could not refute they could say nothing against this man who had been healed but when they commanded them to go aside to go outside out of the council they conferred among themselves and they said what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle it has been noted by a lot of people a notable miracle has been done by them, and it's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But, they don't want it to spread any further, but that it spread no further among the people, we need to make sure this doesn't just keep happening, and we don't want this to to continue, or this will upset our little apple cart here. They said to make sure it goes no further, let us straightly, let us right away threaten them. Let's threaten them that they speak henceforth from this time forward, that henceforth to no man in this name. They must quit going and proclaiming and teaching and preaching and going out on the authority of Jesus. Go no, no further. Henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken or to obey, to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge, judge ye, saying you you judge whether we should listen to God or listen to you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. The people had seen all this. For all men glorified God, for that which had been done to this lame man. For the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was show, was was showed. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge you. You judge this, you be the judge. Neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If you are glad for the name of Jesus, say amen. Now, when I was a boy, and uh, I'd be with my dad, and we'd listen to 96.3 back then, and that was the oldies station out of Nashville, I've mentioned that before, and we would listen to the oldies from the '50s and '60s, when my dad was was a young man, we would listen to those songs, and uh, there was always this one guy on the radio station that I loved to hear, because we had the same name. His name was Sam Cook. Sam Cook. I used to pretend that we were related to one another until I found out that he was a black guy and I was a white guy. Sam Cook had this song. He had this song. And I used to love listening to it in Dad's car when he would listen to that station. It's called What a Wonderful World. What a Wonderful World This Would Be. And in that song, Sam Cooke made some confessions. Sam Cooke made some confessions in that song. In that song, Sam used to say, I don't know much about history. Don't know much about biology. Don't know much about a science book. And I sure don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this could be. Don't know much about history. Don't know much about biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this could be. Sam Cooke didn't know much, but he knew one thing. And I would say to you today that there's really, and the older I get, the more I realize this, there's a whole lot that I do not know. But I know this, there is no power in this world like the power of the name of Jesus. There's no other power for salvation There's no other power for healing the racial strife in our country. There's no other power to bring people together from all different creeds and backgrounds and nations. It's only when they're with Jesus at the end of Revelation that the healing comes because only Jesus has the authority and the power to bring what this world needs. Our nation is torn asunder. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eye comes to morality. We don't agree on anything when it comes to morality. It's been, it's, been, it's been sad and humorous at the same time to watch the fallout from the sexual scandals uh, that have engulfed uh, Hollywood and engulfed our government. And it's been interesting to me because it's been, uh, in a lot of ways, um, and by the way, it's now coming out in colleges. People are starting to come out about things they experienced in college. That's all very interesting to me because in the last 50 years, definitely the last 20 years, it has primarily been, along with the media, it has been the colleges and it has been the government and it has been Hollywood telling us that we must abandon biblical morality as fast as we can. And now, as God always does, if you just wait, if you just wait, those that oppose God and oppose his word, if you just watch and wait and don't panic, you just wait. And the, and the cupboards will be open. It's just amazing to me. Watch all this fallout in Hollywood. They've been telling us, you've got to change, got to change, got to change. I don't want to change to that. Young people, you remember that. When these, these people on Facebook and on Twitter and, and, and in your classrooms and in the movies, when they say, oh, you, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, change to this, this, this. You just remember how deep, how deep the sin is and deep the abuse is within the same media in Hollywood that has been telling you that, it is rife. You look at the government. I don't, want, I don't get too much on this. By the way, this affects both parties. This is one thing I will mention. It's unreal to me that they have a fund with millions of dollars that they apparently, I mean, best I can tell, and I, I tried to verify this best I they know, they've had to pay out all kinds of money for sexual harassment from our Politicians, Our politicians in our movies, see, they have said, you don't need to new, do what the Word of God says when it comes to morality. You need to listen to the new morality. I say, let's listen to Jesus. Want to listen to Jesus, say amen. So we see the racial strife. By the way, we have people from different ethnic groups right here in this church today. And can I tell you whether you're black, white, yellow, red, mixture, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And this church will love you because Jesus has loved all. We're going to love you and we're going to do it with a joyful heart. So we see the racial strife and we see the, the, the strife with morality and we just see all of this. And we see people saying, run from Jesus. I want to tell you, if there's ever a time that we needed Jesus, it is now. We need Jesus. So I don't know much about a lot of things. I think back to some of the arguments and debates and things that I used to do. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. I think back on some of those foolish things. And I look back and I realize that, you know, what I needed then is what I need now. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Now, in the book of Acts, you're going to find a lot of people that don't know a lot about a lot of things, but you're going to see that they they know one thing. They know who will sustain them. They know who will comfort them. They know who will guide them. They know who will save them, and it is Jesus. Now, we can know the same things that they know. In the midst of the world where there's a lot that we don't know, we can know the same things that they know because we have the same Holy Spirit that they had pointing us to the Word of God to understand it and to comprehend what the will of Jesus is for us. So this morning in the midst of the world where there are a lot of things that we don't know, I want to point out some things that we can all know under the authority of Christ. Number one. Today, you can know, we can know that Jesus is the foundation. He's the foundation. Look at verses 7 through 11. When they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people, the elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed, if you're going to examine us about the deed done to this impotent man, By what means he was made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him. Does this man stand here before you whole? The stone which was set at naught, was rejected of the builders, has become the head of the corner. What is your starting point in life? What is your starting point in life? Because where, you start, where you're starting at is going to determine the direction that you're headed. And so in your life, when you have to make decisions and you have to uh, face issues and you have to deal with other people, what is your starting point from going through this life? Now, you know how a train goes. A train goes in, in one direction, right? On the tracks, goes in one direction. Now, if you hop on a train, right? Some of you have heard this before. If you hop on a train and it's going one direction, if you are in that train, you can run as fast as you can inside that train the other direction. But if you're in that train, it doesn't matter how fast you run that way. If the train is going that direction, you can run as hard as you can, but you're going to wind up way, way over here. Why? Because your starting point is inside of a train that is going that way, and that's where you're going to wind up because that's where you started at in that train. You can run as hard as you can that way, but you'll never get there. There are too many Christians. There are too many Christians in this church that you start from the wrong place. Your own wisdom, somebody else's wisdom, somebody else's idea, just what you've decided. This is what I want to do. You start at the wrong place. And you realize you're going in the wrong direction. And you're running as hard as you can to stop. But you can't stop because you've hopped on that train. Today, some people in this auditorium need to get off the wrong train. And you need to start with Jesus. you start there. Your marriage will never be right if you don't start with Jesus. Amen? That'd be right. Your youth group will never be right if you don't start with Jesus. Your local church will never be right if you don't start with Jesus. The conflicts that you have to work with, they will never, at least your part of it, will never be right if you don't start with Jesus. These guys want to know, whose authority have you done this by? And these guys are preachers. They're not going to pass up this opportunity. They have an audience. In fact, they have been given an audience of the most elite of the elite within the Jewish religious system. God has placed them right there to preach to the highest of the high. And so they're not going to let this pass. And so instead of just saying Jesus, they look at them. And they, they do tell them it's by Jesus. But they also make sure they know, listen, He is the true cornerstone. He's what it's all about. So today there's a lot that I don't know. But I know this and we know this, that Jesus is the foundation. Second thing. Second thing that the early Christians knew that you can know is this. We know Jesus is the foundation. Second thing, we know that Jesus saves. Say that after me. Say Jesus saves. Now look at what verse 12 says. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus saves. What does Luke 19:10 tell us? The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. What does Mark 2:10 tell us? Know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. If you are glad and excited today that Jesus forgave your sin, say amen. That about got five hand raises. That's about a new record for this church. Jesus saves. No, I don't know much. I don't know much. Not really. Not when you think about all there is to know in this world. I don't know much. But I know. I know when I was at the end of my rope. And I know when I thought, will my mind ever be right again? And when I knew I've got to get out of this lifestyle that I'm in, I knew the one place to run, and that one place was to run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. I knew that. My parents didn't do anything else right, and they did do other things right. They made sure that I knew that, that I knew because I'd seen it in their life, and they would preached it and proclaimed it and lived it. I knew when the day of trouble hit at the crossroads of life, I knew the one Place to go was to go to Jesus. And my friends, some of you today, you are at a crossroads. And today you need to know that Jesus saves. Don't know much about the math I took. I thought my dad might amen that one really loud. Don't know much about the math I took. But I know this I know that there's only one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's only through Jesus. What do I know? I know today on this Sunday morning that Jesus is the foundation. And I know the day that Jesus saves. And thirdly, I know what they knew, which when he saves you, he will change you. Jesus is the foundation, and Jesus saves us. And thirdly, Jesus will change us. Now, I love how he, how he changes them. Look at, the, look at the evidence of how three years with Jesus, And then after the resurrection, realizing, whoa, he's the Messiah. Look at how it changed them. Look at verse 13. How did it change them? Now, when they saw, when the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that these were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Oh, that's true. They were ignorant and they were unlearned, except they'd been with Jesus for three years. And he had changed them. They marveled. And they took knowledge. They took notice. See, the powerful do not take notice of you and me. Oh, they might every two years, every four years, try to get some votes from us. They might come around looking for something when they need something. But let's not kid ourselves. Do you really think most of the powerful people in this world spend much time concerned with what a preacher and will thinks? No. Do you think they spend their day worried about what you think? Don't kid yourself. No, they do not. But when Jesus starts turning the world upside down through his people, they will take notice. They will take notice. And so they that's a very interesting phrase. They were ignorant, unlearned, but they took knowledge of them. They noticed them. They want to know what is going on. They took knowledge and noticed what that they had been with Jesus. He changed the disciples. He changed them through the power of the Holy Spirit that's now come, brought to life what they knew about Jesus. And these men who were ignorant and unlearned now speak with authority. Jesus had shown them that he was the key to understanding the Old Testament. And now that they are in in the midst of those that know the Old Testament better than anybody... They were able to speak with knowledge because Jesus had revealed to them after his resurrection, before he ascended uh, to be with God the Father, he had spent time and he had revealed how he was the key to all of the Old Testament. He had shown them personally that he was the foundation for all that they knew. So he changed. Now look at this. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is going to change you where you most need to be changed. Listen now. He will change you Where you mote, now all of us need to be saved from sin. But in our growth, there are different ways in which Jesus does change us. He changed these disciples by giving them knowledge they did not have. He also changed a lame man. Look at verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Why? Because he could walk. Because he had been changed from being lame and now he could walk. So they're confronted with two new realities, a reality that Jesus will make the unlearned learned if you spend time with him and listen to him, and his Holy Spirit will give you a boldness. They had to face that. And then they had to face another reality of this guy that could not walk, that everybody had seen because he'd been out in front of the temple, the Bible says, basically his whole life, and we just learned here that he was about 40 years old. So everybody knew this guy. And they're facing a new reality that this guy that they all knew could now walk, and everybody knew it. Both the disciples and the lame man have been changed by Jesus. They have both been made whole in new ways by Jesus. And I want you to know that it's not just the disciples and it's not just the lame man. Jesus has changed countless sinners throughout the ages. He's changed me. Has he changed you? Has he changed you? Jesus will change what you're comfortable with when you get to know him. Jesus will change how you spend your money and how you think about your money. Jesus will change how you spend your time. One of the moments that I was proud of our kind of college-age kids was, uh, I wasn't in the class when this happened, but they, they came to me one week. This was probably two years ago. They they came to me and um this guy didn't mean anything bad by it. He didn't mean anything bad, but they they came to me and they said, Man, Sunday school today Like, what happened? And they said, Well, we're talking about being dedicated to the Lord and being serious to the Lord and and having time for the Lord and and you know, getting in his word and getting around other Christians and being faithful to services and go, We were talking about this and this guy spoke up and He said, "Well, the problem is, and this is half true. This is how, this is how it always works. This is half true." Guy said, "Well, people are just way too busy. They're just way too busy, and uh, people have forty-hour jobs. They work and stuff, and they're just people are too busy to do all this." And I will say, and this will kind of embarrass him, but but Paul mentions people by name, so I'll say this. If I remember right, uh, either Connor said in the class or after the class, he said, "Yeah." He goes, people are busy, but when my dad got a fire for the Lord, it became amazing all of a sudden what my dad could go to and what he could read and what he could attend and where he could be because when Jesus got a hold of Mike, all of a sudden he found, I got a lot more time for Jesus than I thought I did. Way more. Way more. Can I tell you today that Jesus will change the way you view your money and you view your time? Amen? You'll find out all of a sudden. You'll find out all of a sudden I got way more time for Jesus and to walk with him and to talk with him. And to listen to him, I've got way more time with him. Jesus will change how you approach your circumstances. Jesus will change the words you use and when you use them. Jesus will change who you will help and not help. Jesus will change you from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes and everything else in between. Jesus will change your heart and he will change your ears and he will change what you allow your eyes to see and he will change how you see it. Jesus will change the mind, the heart, everything about you and most importantly, When Jesus gets a hold of you, He will translate you from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. He will change you. So today we know that Jesus is the foundation. And we know that Jesus saves us. And we know Jesus changes us. And third or fourthly, we know something else from this text that we better get a handle on. We know that when Jesus has really changed us, we cannot stay silent. We can't. We live in a politically correct world, but what we really need to be concerned with is being kingdom of God correct, not politically correct. We need to follow God's Word. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. We need to look to the example of Jesus to show us how to live our lives And to talk and walk in this day when Jesus changes you, you cannot remain silent. You should not remain silent because we are the heralds. We are the ambassadors of His kingdom. We are those that pronounce one name, the name of Christ. And we are to trumpet that name loudly with both the walk that we walk and the talk that we talk. It is to always point back to Jesus. In Luke 12, 11 through 12, Jesus said, listen to this, I love this, I love this. Jesus had told them, when they bring you to the synagogues, kind of paraphrasing here, when they bring you to the synagogues and they bring you to the magistrates, he told them not if, he said when, they bring you to the synagogue, when they bring you to the magistrates and the powers, take no thought how or what you shall answer or what you shall say, For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Don't worry about it. You've been with me for three years and I've got you prepared. And when you go before them, when they hit you and they ask you the questions and they've got you under the gun, don't worry about what you'll say because I've taught you and in that moment my Holy Spirit will show you how to respond. Oh, preacher, what are we going to do? 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 I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to listen to him. And Jesus told him it would happen. And the church has not been in existence very long at all. The bride of Christ, known as the church, has not been in existence long at all. And already what he promised them, what happened, is happening right off the bat. They are standing before the powers. They are standing before the synagogue. But Jesus has promised and He has given His Holy Spirit, and they cannot remain silent. You see, Jesus' promises always come true. The Spirit that was given to Peter and John, they gave the words that Jesus promised them would come. And my friends, if you walk with Jesus, and you talk with Jesus, and you make time for Jesus, you will find in your moment of temptation, your moment of trial, your moment when you are challenged, you will find words that you never knew you had. Now, our problem as a church, let's just not pick on some else, our problem as a church is we don't have time for Jesus because we've hopped on our own train and we're going where we want to go and we don't have time for Jesus, so we're on that train going that way. And all of a sudden, there's trouble in the marriage. And all of a sudden, there's trouble at work. And all of a sudden, the culture it doesn't even pretend it cares about Jesus anymore. And the laws are changing. And we've been on that triangle where we want to go. And all of a sudden, we realize we, we need Jesus, but we're going the wrong direction and we haven't been spending time with Jesus and we haven't been talking to Jesus and we haven't been listening to Jesus and then we get mad at Jesus and we say you promised that there would be words you promised that you would help me you promised you promised my friends he gave them the word because three years their life they had walked with him and listened to him and so when he promised them my spirit will give you the words to say you know what the holy spirit was doing he was pointing them right back to what Jesus had revealed to them after the resurrection, that he was the cornerstone. They knew that because they'd been with Jesus. My friends, some of you today, you just need to get with Jesus. You just need to get with him. And you need to remember that there is no other name. There is no other power. There is no other purpose. It is all about Jesus and his promises are true and let me let me tell you today let me tell you something today his promises were true to them and his promises Holman family let me tell you this today with what brother Gary's going through let me let me say to you today that Jesus's promise is true and Gary's salvation is in him and unless something in this life happens if Jesus decides that he's going to take him home you know, where G- you know where Gary's going to be? He's going to be with Jesus. Where are you going to be? He's going to be with him. Because Jesus has promised that where I've gone, I'm preparing a place for you. For you. Sometimes we wonder, though, right? We wonder when they're laying there in pain. Jesus, is it really true? Sometimes we wonder when that spouse abandons us, is it really true? Sometimes we wonder when the battle with alcohol goes on and on. Jesus, is it true that I can really be, I can really break free from this? You can really, you can really get me out of this? I want you to know that every promise Jesus has made, Jesus keeps. The problem is not that Jesus doesn't keep his promise. The problem is that we don't have time for Jesus. And so we don't experience the Holy Spirit power that he has promised the way that they did because we're not walking with him. I need Jesus, you need Jesus, we need Jesus, Jesus saves. I know today there are those that are not walking with Jesus. I know there are those in this room that you're, you're, and I would even say this, you live your life in a, in a way that I would say, wow, that's a great attempt at morality. That's a great attempt at morality. The problem is that some of you that I respect so much, and I do respect you, you're trying as hard as you can to live the right life. The problem is you are running this way while the train that you are on is going another direction and you can run and run and you can try as hard as hard to have a good name and to pass a good name on to your family you can try and try and try but my friends if you're not with Jesus you can run as hard as you want to but you're going to wind up with the same person that never tried and didn't know the name of Jesus the Bible says at the end it doesn't come down to what any of us did it comes down to whether or not we know Jesus and so he changed them and he saved them and he was the foundation. And so i say today from a heart of love, because I cannot remain silent, do not reject the cornerstone of life. Do not reject Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I ask today that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray today for those that do not know you, that they would respond in faith, dear Lord. Lord, I pray that they would hear and that they would believe. Lord, I'm certain as this message has been preached that there are some people that have been thinking about the train of life that they're on. And Lord, they, they know, they know that it's not the direction they're supposed to be. And Lord, today they know that they need to come, that they need to kneel, that they need to surrender, that they need to commit to you. Lord, I pray that they would let go. That they would let go of themselves today and that they would grab hold of you. Lord, I pray today that they would listen to that Holy Spirit that is drawing them to Jesus. Lord, help them to not walk away. Help them to not reject. Lord, we see two groups in that text. Many among the Sanhedrin rejected Jesus. But Lord, 5,000 were saved through what they had seen and heard. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move today. Lord, move in this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.